Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. I am going to look at one verse. And I know some of you are probably thinking, wow, this is going to be a short sermon. I tried, and we will see. I might have to cut some things out as I prepare. I'm like, there's so much to share, but I'm going to try to take this one verse and break it down into parts that I think are very, very important. So I wanted to start off as you're finding that passage and the notes are already sent to you. Is that how many of you know the good feeling, the good feeling of finding money in your pocket or around the house when you lease expect it, okay? Go ahead. If you're, if you're watching, you could just lift your hand uh, just right on the TV there. But I don't know about you, but uh, that's something that's a good feeling. Uh, when you said, wow, what's in, what's in my pocket? And you realize you had cash. And I, I've had my fair share of doing laundry without checking my pockets and having the money just completely dissolve. And this was some time back. Now they've improved on the money. In fact, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Hong Kong $10, I'm going to pull it out of my pocket right here, the Hong Kong $10 is actually waterproof. Now, I know that because I washed it one time and it came out just the same way. So that's one thing. But another thing is that it's, it's actually really popular. You know, there are people who collect different types of money. And the thing I like about this is that it's waterproof. So if you wash it, uh, the value doesn't go away and you can still pull it out and dry it and then you can use it again. Now, if you were alive, I would have given it to you. Anyway, so uh, as I was thinking about this, um, I realized that this $10 bill in Hong Kong, it's, it's so popular, they're actually selling it on eBay. So you'll see this picture here. Hopefully you'll see this picture. And they were selling for $7.99. So you have to imagine, like, it's, they're getting a lot more than what the value is of 10 Hong Kong dollars. So it's kind of interesting they're selling it, but it's now, as you can tell, it's already sold out. It expired. And so there's something about finding a treasure or something that is valuable, which brings great joy to our hearts. And the reason why we're starting this whole new series is we're actually going to be starting the fast today at sundown. And we want to prepare us just through the next two weeks to focus on Jesus and make this fast not about us, but all about him and enabling us to love God and treasure him more than anything else in this world. And so I want to talk a little bit about this, finding this treasure. Now, there was a couple in California who actually found a treasure in their backyard. And believe it or not, it was worth $10 million. Uh, And I want to show you this quick kind of news update about this couple. They don't give any information because I wouldn't because then people will be coming over and looking for more treasure in your backyard. But supposedly they have this huge place and they would always go on a hike. They would walk with their dog. And as they were walking one time, they saw a treasure. And then I'll just let the news kind of update, share with you what they found. So let's watch this together. Can you imagine, here you are just taking a walk, something that you do every single day, and all of a sudden you find this treasure. Now, as you can tell, they didn't really know how much it was worth, but once they gave it to the collector and appraisal and asked for how much do you think it is, and it came out to close to $10 million. I'm I'm just wondering, what would you experience and what would you feel 
if he just happened to stumble upon coins that are worth $10 million. You know, as I was thinking about this, I realized that our Christian life for some of us, it's pretty much the same way. I think for some of us who just, when you think about your journey, uh, it wasn't so much that you were seeking after God, but God was actually seeking out after you. And through various circumstances and situations that happened in your life, you just happened to stumble across the grace of God, the love of God. He brought certain people your way, and you realize now there's this joy that you have forevermore. Some of us are in a situation where we came to Hong Kong and we're looking for a church, and for whatever reason, God brought you to our church. And through just the things that you've experienced and you found something that God is stirring in your heart to awaken you, to help you to grow spiritually. And so that's not something that you necessarily were seeking out after, but God was working in your life. There are some of us who, when we think about it, we might have fallen away. And we, we didn't want to do anything with God for various reasons. And God, through circumstances and situations and bringing people he, what is happening even right now is that he's enabling you to discover and to know more of who he is. I think when you think about life, that there are so many things that fight for our attention on a given day. And because of that, I think it's difficult to be able to really hear from the voice of God. For some of us, a lot of it is because we get so distracted and the world is telling us all these things about what can fill our hearts we tend to just get drawn into those things and it gets further, brings us further away from God. For some of us, I think when we think about our heart's desires, the things of this world tells us that you're going to be fully satisfied. These are the things that you're going to experience. But then once again, they promise so much, but deliver on so little. I think this is the reason why many of us have our hearts broken. Some of you right now, as you're watching this, your hearts are disappointed. There's all these things that you wanted or you thought that was going to happen and has not happened. And you think to yourself, why am I in this place? And this is the reason why I believe that some of us are right at the precipice or right at that moment where we're going to be able to understand that sometimes we are led to this point so that we can realize that only Jesus Christ can fill your hearts. And I think it's sometimes through the most difficult situations, some of the hardest times in your life, even when I think about even the COVID situation and just all the lockdowns and everything that transpired in Hong Kong in the last five years from the protests to the unrest, everything that was going on to all these things, the more I think about it, I realize that what it has done is that it helped us to see what's important. It has also awakened us to the things of God's heart of what it is that he wants us to do and how he wants us to carry it through. And so when you discover this truth, that's when you realize that only Jesus can satisfy my life. I like what Robert Murray uh, McShane said in one of his letters. He writes this. He says, you will never find Jesus so precious as when the world is one vast howling wilderness. Then he is like a rose blooming in the mist of the desolation, a rock rising above the storm. So once again, it is only in the midst of difficulties where we begin to realize that only Christ, he is the only one who can fill us and satisfy us. And we want Jesus, 
to be the most precious thing in our lives. No matter where we are in our lives, no matter what we have gone through in our lives, and the things that we will go through in the present or in the future, that we will be able to say, Jesus Christ is my only treasure. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to do a two-part series. Part one today, I want to talk about discovering. And we're going to use a parable, which is a story that Jesus oftentimes used to help people to understand some deep concepts about the kingdom of God. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, another parable, a short parable, and we're going to talk about the importance of seeking, especially as we're in the middle of our fast. What does it mean to seek after the things of God and the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God. So let me go ahead and give us the one thing that I want us to remember for this morning. And one I'm going to share clearly, hopefully, through this Bible verse, just one verse. The one thing is simply this, as Jesus is our greatest treasure who satisfies beyond measure. That Jesus is our greatest treasure who satisfies beyond all measure. So welcome back. Hopefully you were able to answer the question now that you just have to answer one. I want to go ahead and just jump right into this as we're talking about how Jesus is our greatest treasure who satisfies beyond measure. That's my hope and prayer for the one desired fast, that he will become your treasure that will satisfy you in every part of your life. And so let me just go ahead and read Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. This is what the word of God says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So let me just uh, kind of give us an overview of what I'm going to talk about as we look at this verse. There's going to be three specific things that we notice here. I want to go over uh, as we go over this story. The first thing is I want to talk about the realization. There's going to be some kind of realization. The second thing I want you to notice is there's going to be a reaction. And the third and last thing is that there is going to be a response. There's going to be a response that the man who found the treasure and what he does. And so we want to kind of use that as our outline and to be able to talk about it. So I'm going to go ahead and just talk about the first thing, the realization. Once again, if Jesus truly is our treasure and he satisfies us beyond measure, then we have to understand and come to some kind of realization first. This parable is just one of the parables in this whole section in chapter 13. I thought this was interesting that all of 13 is really about many parables and then these parables being explained. Not all of them, but some of them were being explained by Jesus. And throughout this chapter, Jesus is using these parables or these stories of life lessons to teach about the kingdom of heaven. Now you need to understand when Jesus came and he said in the scroll of Isaiah that in your hearing that these words have been fulfilled the people had no idea what he was talking about when he came to him coming and ushering in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So that's why the kingdom of God is here, but not yet. That means that when Jesus came, he inaugurated, he started the kingdom of God the way he understood it and what the Bible talks about here on this earth, but it's not yet in its fullness until Jesus Christ comes back. So that's why the kingdom of God, we get to see glimpses of it, but it's not the fullness of it yet. So he's trying to teach about the kingdom of heaven through this parable. And he starts off, and I, I need for you to follow this along because in all of chapter 13 is important. Because in chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, he talks about the generosity of the sower. 
the sower who is sowing the seeds. And he's throwing these seeds on the ground, and then it falls on different types of soils. And then the, depending on who they are as people, they will respond to the seed, which is the word of God being planted into their hearts. Now, he starts off with that first parable of the sower. And then as you go down quickly, if you, look, if you have your Bibles in front of you, he talks about the parable of the weeds. And he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. And he talks about the parable of the leaven. And what he's trying to say is that the kingdom of God is here. But in oftentimes, it starts very small. You're not going to even notice it. But then later on, it has such an impact and effect on this earth and on your life. That like a yeast, or if you want to look at it, it is like the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, but it produces a tremendous tree. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It enters in slowly. You'll begin to experience it. And then the fullness of it, you begin to experience it more and more every single day. And it's interesting how a lot of things in life start off small. But then later on, it has a lot of consequences or effects when you think about your life. Think about reading the Bible or prayers. These are all micro habits that some of us still have not learned. But if you continue to do some of these things and you do it over a period of time consistently as best as you can, what you will begin to experience is that that little action, the micro action of reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, abiding in Christ, what you begin to realize is there's a greater dependence. There's a greater clarity in your thought process. You begin to understand different principles that the Bible teaches about, and you begin to see how it gets applied into your life. Think about some other micro habits, whether it's maybe just being thankful. Then you begin to build that up over a period of time, and you're going to find yourself complaining less. Don't ever forget that. Whenever you hear people complaining, they don't have a grateful heart. Something's going on inside their hearts. Like these micro habits, it's actually building up something that's even greater. Some of you, when we think about fasting, one of the things that we have forgotten is like, it's not just removing food from your life, even though that helps. It's not about just shutting off or logging out of your social media. What you're doing by fasting is that it's a micro habit of learning how to say no. Because a lot of times when you think about your life, and as I think about my life, there are a lot of things that we say yes to or we give ourselves to that we should not. What that shows is that we have no self-control. We haven't developed that muscle of self-control. So we are always giving into a lot of these different things and it leads to sin. So when you begin to micro-habit and begin to fast, and not just in one desire fast. Some of you, I, I, I know that there are people who fast like once a week, or they might fast like a meal once a week. And as they're developing this, they're learning how to strengthen their self-control. So those of us who are struggling with self-control and learning how to say no to things, fast. Now here's the thing, for some of us who are people pleasers, for some of us who struggle with always wanting attention, some of us who always struggle with wanting to be approved by other people, if that's something that you struggle with, then the micro habit that what you will do is the, the spiritual discipline of secrecy, which is not like living a secret life, 
but it means to do something without anyone knowing. Because what it does is it kills that side of you that wants recognition, that side of you that always does things to please people. So sometimes it's taking away things in our lives. Other times it's actually implementing and doing things so that that micro habit can have some huge effects in the future. That's why as we start Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus is now shifting the focus of the smallness of the kingdom of heaven in terms of how it starts and how it grows over a period of time in the lives of people. Now he's shifting and putting the emphasis on the value, the value of the kingdom of heaven. Why is that important? Let's go ahead and read that first part again. Verse 13, like I said, we're going to take it phrase by phrase. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So let, let me just pause here. It is like this treasure that is hidden in a field, and we see that this man finds it, and he covers it up. Now, what is the significance of this? Well, Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to this treasure that is hidden in a field, and the reason behind it is because he wanted to talk about how valuable this treasure is. When we don't know the value of things, then we will not be able to, or we will not be willing to pay the price. Uh, l- let me give you an example. When I was growing up, uh, I began to, you know, just even just throughout junior high, high school, but as I was growing up, I slowly began to realize that just because you pay more for something doesn't mean that you're getting a better price. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have been there and you're realizing this, but when you're young, you're thinking, as long as it has that logo, as long as it has that that brand name there, then it's good quality. But I slowly began to find out they just made that in, I don't know, Pakistan or Bangladesh or in China. And I'm like, okay, you know, wait a minute. You could, that's why there's so many uh, ripoffs and uh, what do you call it? Those things where it's a knockoff. Because the places where they're making it, they know how to make it. And they just get the materials and they just sell it for cheaper. So I began to realize that you're actually paying for the brand and not necessarily for the materials. Now, don't misunderstand. I understand that some things that are more expensive is because the materials are better, but a lot of times we would purchase things because of a brand. But in many ways, the quality of it is no better than something that doesn't have a brand name. So once again, they have convinced you that you need to pay this much for this brand. I won't tell you what phone system, whatever, but they have convinced you for a a, a lot less that you get, but you pay a lot more. They convinced you. So because you're putting value on that brand. So I'm sharing this because once again, it is this treasure that is hidden in a field. So if a dog digs up a hole in the ground and puts one of his bones there, his snacks, and it's hidden, there's not much value. Are you with me? Well, to the dog maybe later. So it's not the fact of being hidden in a field, but the fact is the treasure itself. That's what's important. So let's see this realization that the man came to. 
as this value treasure was hidden in the field, there's an interesting note because the man does a couple things. The first thing that he does is he stumbled upon it. That's the first thing that you will notice. He stumbled upon it. Now, compared to next week's parable or the parable of the pearl of great price, which you will hear about, I'm not going to talk about it. The merchant was actually seeking for this pearl of great price. But here, for today, one of the things we notice, it just seems and appears as if the man was not looking for this treasure. He just happened to stumble upon it because it was hidden in the field and he stumbled upon it. Just like that couple who found $10 million worth of gold coins dating back to the 1840s or 1850s. They weren't looking for it. They just stumbled across it. Now, as we think about this, we realize it's something that it's not expected, nor was it something that we were looking for. Listen to what the message translation says of that portion of the scripture. It says this, God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years. And then everyone say this, come on, accidentally found by a trespasser. So the kingdom of heaven is, It is like this hidden treasure in a field that has been sitting there for many, many years. And all of a sudden, accidentally, this trespasser happens to find it. Now, one thing we should never rule out is the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, which simply means that God is in control. And because he is in control of all things, he will bring about everything to accomplish his purpose and his will, that he is sovereign that he rules and reigns and in control of all things, and he's providential, that he will provide for us what we need in order to accomplish his will in our lives. Now, why is that important? Because I think for many of us, we forget when we think about our lives that it's God who's working. And I think this is one of the issues that I see in Asia, is that ever since you were young, you were taught that if you work hard, you would get this. That's why many of you are very results-oriented. Now, I don't think being results-oriented is a bad thing in and of itself, but many of you, that's how you operate. So that's why when you invest this amount of time, this amount of things, or whatever it may be, serving, and all of a sudden you don't get the results that you want to see, you get very discouraged. Nowhere in the Bible did God guarantee you by you putting that much time, that much resources, or whatever it may be, that you're going to get whatever you want to get. But that's part of our culture that we have brought into the scriptures. What would you do if God called you to invest in something and you will not see any results or any fruits here on this earth, at least in your lifetime, maybe 20 years after you're dead? Would you be okay with that? I'll be one of the first ones that says, I don't want to be a part of that. Because I want to see it. I want to see the fruits of my labor. I want to see what I do that brings about change and impact in the lives of people around me. But this is where you got to trust in God. There are so many things in our lives that we try to do, and what we forget, it's God who is the one who's providential. It's God who is the one who's sovereignly working in your life. That's why I think sometimes he just lets us kind of have a tantrum because things are not working out. And then finally, once we get tired, like a little kid get exhausted and they're crashed out, that's when he does the best work, when we're sleeping. So when we're sleeping, when we have nothing to do with it, he's working. 
as the Bible talks about. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He does his best work so that when we realize that things happen, even without us, we realize it was all God. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen? That it's not us, but it's God. So this man happened to stumble upon it sovereignly, providentially, this kingdom. And oh, as I was thinking how much God loves to orchestrate things. You are where you are right now, especially if some of you are growing and you're experiencing the blessings of God. It's not because you're such a great person, because God has brought and orchestrated things in your life and you responded to him with humility and said, yes, I am willing, Lord. Some of you, God is bringing a lot of things into your life, but you're unwilling. And therefore, you are at the same place that you were last year. You are at the same place that you were maybe five years ago. You haven't grown at all. What are some things that you've stumbled upon? I'm wondering if this is God's way of trying to speak to you and get your attention. When I think about salvation, we didn't find God. We were the one who were lost. God found us. And he sovereignly and providentially worked in our lives so that we can now be invited to the kingdom. We said yes to him, give our allegiance over to him, and now we worship him as our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's the first thing that you notice here. The realization is that he wasn't looking for it. He just stumbled upon it. You know what the second thing is? The second thing is he shielded it. He covered it. After finding it, we see that the man covered it up. He probably got this realization that there might be more on this field. Have you ever thought about that? There must be more. If I found this, oh my goodness, there must be so much more here. It's like some of you go to buffet, like, wow, snow crabs? Okay, there must be more. And it's this idea like, wow, if this is here, there might be other things. And so what does he do? As he comes to this realization, as he stumbles upon it, now he found it, and then he's going to shield it, cover it up, and he hides his treasure so that it will not be stolen by others. The man wanted for himself this treasure and did not want to lose the opportunity to get it. The point that I think we need to understand here is that we have to see how valuable this treasure is. But I think for many of us, we lose sight of the value of the kingdom of God and in Jesus himself. We lose sight of Jesus. We, we find ourselves assigning value to things that are not valuable. We put our time, energy, resources into things that's not going to produce much fruit. Ask anyone who is on their deathbed. You could ask anybody. What is important and what is valuable to you right now as they're dying? Not a single person will say GPA. If you find somebody, please let me know. Do an interview and then let me hear it. But this is where some of you are citing your whole value and your identity on is your GPA. When you're dying... That's going to be the least important thing in your life. Some of you sign value on your bank account of how much you have. 
the possessions that you own. Do you have a car? Do you have an apartment? Do you have all this stuff, all the material things of the world? Once again, none of them are bad in and of themselves, but these are your gods, your idols that you worship. And so what begins to happen is that you put so much value on this that when you're in your deathbed, you're not going to worry about what's in your bank account. You can't take it with you. That's why I'm wondering, on your deathbed, you will be wondering about your relation with God, your relationship with other people. That's why I've heard many stories of people who would ask people to come to their hospital room as they're about to die and ask for forgiveness and reconcile. Because those are the things that matter. God and people. How about us? This morning, is Jesus really your greatest treasure? Is that something that people can tell just by the, the way you live your life? The things that you talk about, the things that you give your energy towards, the things that you're willing to lay down your life for, can they see that this treasure, this Jesus that you talk about is the most valuable thing in the whole wide world? You can have everything in this world, but if you don't have Jesus, it's nothing. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will, also, uh, will be also. I'm going to read it from different translations. Read the yellow section with me. It says this in the message translation. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will uh, most what want to be and end up being. The Amplified Version says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. And the Passion Translation says this, for your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. I want you to just park it there for a little bit. Can I ask you right now, as I'm looking just right at you through the camera, I'm just simply asking you, what is your life centered on? What is it that you pursue? Because as we've read these verses, it's a reminder, it's where you want to be. So let me put it this way. Some of you want to be successful and wealthy and never have to worry about money. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a little bit more neutral. As long as with what you have, you use it for building of God's kingdom. There's nothing wrong with having money or being wealthy. It's just the love of money. That's the problem, as the Bible talks about. But think about this. If your whole life, where you want to be, and the thing that you are desiring and wishing is about success, about wealth, about secure financial security, then of course, that's where your heart is at. And that's because you treasure this, everything you will do, all your decisions you make will be based on that. So if you have to sacrifice a little bit, there's a life group gathering that's coming. There's another something that's going on where you can actually serve and you can help people. No, because my heart is set on that success or that thing in the future. Same with those of you who are students. If where you want to be is straight A's, then of course, anything that impedes on that, because that's where your treasure is, you're going to say no to. And I think this is the part that sometimes we forget about being in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you treasure him? Do you value him? Is it where you want to be? 
Is this the place where you want your life to be centered around? That's what will open up our eyes to see. Maybe some of us are esteeming and pursuing the wrong things. And many of us don't even know we're going down that slope. And that slope is a slope of disappointment and emptiness. That's why sometimes you could help people, but at the end of the day, they just need to experience it. Let them get the straight A's and then sacrifice their relation with God and with other people. Let them make all the money and be successful and be on all these awards and all. Let them do, go for it. And once you're home alone and you realize you sacrifice everything for that and you realize it doesn't fill your heart, something will click in you and say, what am I chasing after? What am I pursuing after? That's why I love what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes this, the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Some of you have to go through a lot more things in your life for you to finally realize that when your life is not centered on God, it's going to spin out of control. Are we treasuring Christ? Is he to whom we put all our loyalties to? I'm wondering, have you come to this realization that nothing else in this world compares to our relationship with Jesus Christ? Psalm 73, verse 25 through 26, the New Living Translation. Who have I in heaven but you? I desire you, what? Say this, more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And the translation in the Passion Translation, the same verse as this, who have I in heaven but you? You're all I want. No one on earth means what as much to me as you. Lord, so many times I fail, I fall into disgrace, but when I trust in you, I have a strong and glorious presence protecting and anointing me. Forever, you're all I need. What a great reminder for us. So here's the second point. So we see this realization of the value of this treasure. Now, I want to quickly point out the reaction. Let's read Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, B. So let me just read it from the beginning. And it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, let's just pause here and talk about that, this reaction. Then in his joy. Other translation says, in his excitement. The message translation says, the finder is what? Ecstatic. What a find. And the pastor translation says, because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed. See, joy is an emotion that we should experience knowing that what we're getting. I mean, many of you know this feeling. So when you're striving for something, when you're pursuing after something, and you're able to get it and experience it, there's joy. 
I don't know if you know this feeling, but it's kind of like when you're on a journey, like a road trip. I don't know, you're going to one of the islands here in Hong Kong, and you don't know any of the details, but you're just enjoying the ride. Some of you are cringing right now because you're like, I hate those kinds of trips. I got to know when we're leaving. I got to know what to bring. I got to know all this stuff. Some of you are control freaks. But let me just say this. When you think about that type of journey, you know where you're going, but you don't know all the stuff in between. You know, one of the things that begins to happen is that not only do you have to trust the person you're going with, but another thing is that you get to experience spontaneously a lot of things that you might have missed if you're so focused and planned. Now, some of you guys who are planners are hating me right now. There is nothing wrong with planning. All you have to do is join our life group. You'll realize how much is planned, right? Well, some of our life groups. But anyway, uh, some of it is very planned. And so I have nothing against planning. I think planning is good, but it's planning with flexibility depending on the situation that is going on. And so as I was thinking about this and this idea of joy, I realized it's like a journey. We know where we're going. We know the final destination. But everything in between is literally an adventure that God leads us and guides us every step of the way. He opens and closes certain doors for us. See, that's why a lot of times we don't have joy in this Christian journey is because we want to be God and we want to be in control. But can I just say, though, those of us who know to, need to know all the details in the journey, the reason why you have no joy is because it is too predictable. Can I get a good amen to that? It is too predictable. And the reason why you like predictability is because you want to be in control. You don't like the feeling of not knowing and this feeling of uncertainty. Because when you are uncertain, you're going to have to trust, and you have a hard time trusting in God. So yes, you don't know who you're going to marry, but do you trust them? Yes, you don't know if you're going to get into that school or not. Or you don't know if you're going to get that job or not, but do you trust them? This is the reason why so many of you are lacking in joy. But this man found this treasure of great value, and what he does is that he, he then stumbles upon it, shields it, covers it up, and then it says, and then in great joy, in this overwhelming joy that he has, because he found something that is beyond understanding. Because all we need to know is God's promises, and he has yet to fail us. I don't know, I've never done this, but look at your camera and your Zoom, and just start pointing to some of your friends and say, you know, like, you got to be trusted. <laughs> The joy comes when we're in the presence of God. Psalm 43, verse 4 in the NIV says this, Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, come on, say this with me, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. This joy and delight, it's when you're in the presence of God. When God is with you, you know it, you feel it. He's walking with you, he's talking with you, you're listening. And then Psalm 26, verse 11, many of you know this verse in the New Living Translation. It says that you show me the way of life, granting me what? The joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forevermore. Being in his presence. Do you treasure Christ so much that he's the very thing that you desire? 
That's where the joy will come. Let me close with the third thing. So we talked about the realization, the value of this treasure. And then we talked about the reaction when you really understand it. There's going to be joy. And the third thing that I want you to look at here is the response. Now, because we really want Jesus and we want to see him as our greatest treasure. And through that, we're going to be satisfied beyond all measure. So let me go ahead as we talked about uh, just the realization that this man made, and then we see his reaction. Now I want to talk about the response, the appropriate response in light of these things. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 13 again, and I'm going to focus on the last phrase. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, it is out of joy of being able to realize the value of this treasure that caused him to do this action of selling everything he had and then buying this land. Now, the reason why I want to kind of slow it down here so that you understand is that it doesn't work the other way. When I mean that it doesn't work, it will not bring you the joy. It will not bring you the satisfaction. This is the reason why so many of you are serving God. You make the investment. You sacrifice. You do all these things. And the reason you have no joy because you don't understand the value of this treasure who is Jesus Christ. The treasure of eternal life. The treasure about the kingdom of God. We got it backwards. Because when you understand the value of this treasure in your relationship with Jesus Christ, there will be complete joy because you realize he loves me. He has forgiven me. He has given me grace over and over again when I don't deserve it. He has shown mercy when he should have shown wrath. Out of that should be the motivation why we sacrifice, why we do all these things. But there are many of you who are watching me right now, you have made the sacrifice, you have done all these things, but you haven't treasured Jesus. This is why you're bitter. I really believe you should have no bitterness in your life when you think about when you do things, it's, because of, it's for Jesus because you treasure him. Every single time you feel that may it be like a little warning light on your car that tells you something is wrong. That means that you are making the investment, making the sacrifice, giving up things. Not because you treasure Jesus and not because you're experiencing joy, but because you probably don't want to look bad in front of other people or you're trying to please somebody or someone told you to do it and you're like, well, I might as well just do it. You might not understand it. You might not know why you're doing what you're doing. And it's in that moment, it's so easy to blame people. He made me do it. She said this. Rather than saying, yeah, why did I do that? Oh, it was me because I was concerned about myself. Rather than saying, this is the greatest treasure that I have. That I don't deserve. And God allowed me to stumble upon it by his grace. And therefore, my heart is overwhelmed with joy. And in this joy, I want to lay down my life to serve him and to glorify him and do everything that he has asked me to do. I am yours, Lord. 
this man responded, as we see here, he was all in. Everyone say all in. Come on, all in. He was all in. Let me put it this way. Let's go back 20 years. Let's go back 30 years. This is when Apple, Google, and Tesla, a little bit later, their stocks were coming out, the IPO. If you knew what you know now, you would be a fool not to invest. Are you with me? If you know what you know now, the value of Apple, Google, Tesla, their stocks, you will be a fool not to give, be all in. The reason why some of us are not all in, once again, is because you don't know the value of this treasure. Whenever you are stuck in this decision, should I choose this, A, or should I choose this, B? And every single time you choose A, because it's all about you, your future, your life, your success, and you keep on denying Choose option B because it's about God's people. It's about building the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God. And also it's going to take some sacrifice. Whenever that tension is there, I want you to ask yourself, and this is something we should all ask ourselves, what is it that we treasure? And let us respond accordingly. If you think Jesus and his kingdom is more valuable than your little success, then I guarantee you that when you choose him, you'll see success in a whole different way. When you choose him, because you see that he's more valuable, that he is a treasure that is beyond even explanation, and you choose that over a relationship, then not only God will strengthen your relationship with you, but he will provide every relationship you need, whether it's friends, whether it's a permanent roommate, whatever it may be, he will provide that for you according to his will and his plan, his timing. You got to believe that. That's why I can always tell what people value by their choices. Sometimes they come in and say, Pastor, can I meet with you? Now, if you met with me recently, I'm not talking about you, all right? I love you. I'm just talking about in general. I have almost 30-some years of experience in ministry. It could be anybody, all right? So it's not you. So please, don't be taken personally. But some people I would meet, and they'll come in, and they'll tell me they're, they're stuck because they, they have to make a choice. And I just listen. And what I do is I just kind of expose both sides, pros and cons, and help them to look within their hearts and what it is that they're treasuring, what is it that they want to see happen, and then they have to pray and they hear from the voice of God. Now, why is this important? Because once again, you will always choose what you treasure. Always. That's why when you look at some of these great men and women of God in history, and they chose to serve Christ even at the expense of dying, because they treasure Christ, and the kingdom of heaven that is to come in the fullness when they see 
face to face. Some of you know it was not too long ago the anniversary of those Egyptian Coptic Christians who were in those orange suits right along the shore that they were all martyred because they would not deny their faith because they treasured Christ. People who are willing to even go against even what maybe what their parents who are pre-Christians and they don't understand why you're giving your life to something. And you're willing to say, because I treasure Christ more than I treasure you. Even though I love you, I treasure Christ more. That's how they're going to see the greatness of Christ. He must be that great that you're willing to give that much to him. That's why something beautiful about sacrifice that exalts Christ when it's done out of joy and out of the understanding of who Christ is. Now, there is no sacrifice that honors God when it's all about you. But when you do it, because it's not about you, but it's about Jesus, and yes, there are a lot of things, and I, I, I think about my own life, so many things that I had to say no to that I wanted, but I realized that as I chose Christ, then later on, he worked things out even better than I expected. That's about trust. And even if he didn't provide everything that I wanted and more, I still will love him. I still need to love him. Why? Because he knows what's best for me because I trust him. This is not where some of us are right now. And this is the reason why some of us are struggling with what you're struggling with. And I do pray that during this one desire fast, God will rip your heart. I don't know how else to say Sorry that it's a very visual. He, he will literally mold your heart just do what it needs to do explode it mold it shape it so the only thing that remains is your love for jesus christ that every decision everything that you look at it was because of him it's about his kingdom Once you understand the value of Jesus and the kingdom of God, you will be all in. This was a challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And the beautiful thing about this gospel message is that not only was it for the disciples, but it was anyone who would follow after Jesus Christ. That's why even Apostle Paul, he came to this realization. He reacted in that way, and then he responded in this way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. I once thought these things were valuable. You know that prior to this, in verses 1 through 6, he was giving a whole litany, a list of things of why he can boast. It seems really silly when you don't go to Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard and you go to this no-name school that anyone could get into, even just junior could get into, and then you're like, I'm so great, I'm so smart. That's how foolish it looks. But he's boasting because he wants to contrast all the things that people were striving after, all the things that people long to be and have. He says, I've had it all. I've had all those things. But Christ is better. 
far greater than anything else. That's why he says what? I consider them now worthless because of what? What Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. Come on, say this with me. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, the infinite value, as soon as you think it's valuable, there's more. Infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ He wanted Christ so badly because he's the greatest treasure that he says, all these things that I have in this world, I give it all up so that I can have Christ. Is that your heart? Is that what people can feel and see from you, the way you live your life? That everything is dictated and oriented by who Christ is and this treasure of knowing him and loving him. I love what D.A. Carson said in his commentary on the book of Matthew. He says, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. I thought that was awesome. Because the cost of discipleship is painful. The cost of following Jesus is hard. trying to obey him, trying to be a witness at work, at school, trying to live a holy life, not on your own strength and power, but God's power. It's hard. It's hard to be a Christian. If anyone tells you otherwise, they are lying to you or they're not living the Christian life that I see in Scripture. It is hard. But the reason why we are willing to pay the cost of discipleship, of being a Christ follower, is because we see the infinite value of having Jesus Christ. He is our greatest treasure. Without that, discipleship is going to be just exalting yourself. Without that, some of you are not going to want accountability. Without that, some of you are not going to do the spiritual disciplines because you are not treasuring him. I thought this was really helpful. I was reading this article called Why Jesus is the Best Treasure You Have. Heather Holloman writes this, and she did something that was really interesting. She she said, the problem with so many of us is that we always have this if-only statements. So I'm going to show you 10 if-only statements that she wrote that I thought it was great. And then it's, it's an exercise you could do mentally or you could do it later, and you fill in the blank. She says, these are the things that kill us or hinder us from making Jesus the best treasure that we have. The first one is this. If only I owned, and you fill in the possession. Second, if only I had blank to love me. You fill in the name with that person. If only I could blank fill in the accomplishment. If only I lived, you fill in the location. If only I looked like, I don't know, you fill in your dream body and face and wardrobe. If only I had a purpose like, fill in the area of influence you desire. If only I could raise, fill in the type of family you imagine. If only I could master, you fill in the skill that you want to learn. If only I could experience, fill in the adventure you long for. If only people will see me as, fill in what you expect others to think of you. See, the problem with the only if statements is that it makes us calculate. 
and it makes it all about us. Not about Jesus, not about his kingdom. And the funny thing about these only if statements is once you get it, that possession, that place, that person, whatever, once you get it, the thing that they said that it will satisfy you, it will not. And it will leave you empty again. No wonder you're in one relationship after another. No wonder you go from one job to another. You're never satisfied. You could just go to the job that has the most money that they'll give you, but it's a job that you hate the most. That's why you don't really have friends or you go from one friend to another. And your life will be so miserable and empty and here you are with one life to live and this is how you're living it. Jesus must and he has to become our greatest treasure. That is the only way we are going to find this satisfaction that's beyond measure. The gospel is simply this. When you look at this story with the gospel eyes, the Bible tells us that we are the apple of his eyes. That we as his people are the chosen possession the treasured possession. So we are like that treasure hidden in that field, and because of sin, we're in that ground, dirt. But Jesus knew his purpose. From the beginning of time, from creation all the way to redemption, he knew his purpose, that in the midst of his sin, in the midst of people's sin, that he was going to come and live the perfect life. He was all in. He left heaven, the place of glory, to come to this earth. And so that, as he's all in, as he sells everything, gives everything, his life, we can have eternal life. This is the reason why we could emulate him and say, God, through Jesus Christ, if you are the greatest treasure and you are the one that can only satisfy, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my life and surrender myself to you. So the one thing, once again, Jesus is our greatest treasure who satisfies beyond measure. I'm going to give us a couple things to work on this coming week as we talk about the next steps. And I want to challenge us, especially, and put it in the context of one desire fast. I just pray that this coming week that Jesus will become more precious to you. That you would treasure him more than anything or anyone else. You'll take seriously your relationship with Jesus Christ this coming year. The first thing is, enjoy your time with Jesus. Set some time out. Enjoy that time. If you don't schedule it, if you don't make it a priority, you're not going to do it. You're just going to live your life and you're just going to be tired because you're fasting. There's no glory in that. 
I'm all for spontaneity and just walking and say, Jesus, you're here. Hey, what's up, Jesus? This is great. But you're going to be so disciplined. You're going to be so in, intimate with God just to be able to walk and be in that presence like that. But some of us, we need to set the time and schedule it in and say, God, I'm going to meet you every single day at this time. I'm going to meet you. I want to get to know you. I want to enjoy you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Eliminate distractions. There's going to be many this coming week. Trust me. Some of you, the sun down, and then three hours later, you're going to die. You're like, oh, why, why, why did I decide? Why did I send it out to that WhatsApp group? Why? Can I just encourage us? One of the first things you should do is log out of every single account of your social media because we're creatures of habit. I don't know how many times. I've done this fast. I don't know how many times. But every single time, as soon as we're starting this fast, sometimes I just get my phone out of habit. I just push it in. I'm like, oh. Some of you are like, oh my God, my eyes. I've sinned against God. Don't, 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 don't go to that extreme. Okay? Don't go to that extreme. But all you have to do is log out of it. So the next time I'm out of habit, you push it. And then it says what? Name, password, and then you type it in. Then, then you're pretty simple, okay? Then that's a, whole, that's a whole different sermon. So that's the first thing. Just log out. Eliminate some of the distractions. I know some people even delete apps because you could reinstall it later. Just whatever it's going to distract you, focus it. The third thing is this. Exercise self-control. Learn how to say no. You're going to have to say no to a lot of things. You're going to that store to buy a smoothie, and then there's a lot of uh, hamburgers and other stuff going on. You're going to have to say no. So exercise self-control. And that's part of the fast. It helps you to build self-control. The fourth thing is this. Embrace what God is doing in your life. I'm wondering if he's trying to help you to treasure him. Some of you are coming to a point in your life right now where so many things are disappointing. You're feeling empty. The question is this, are you embracing what he's doing? Maybe he's making you feel this so that you realize only Jesus can satisfy. Welcome it. Embrace it. Say, Jesus, do what you need to do because I want to treasure you. And the last thing is express gratitude. Express gratitude. I want to quickly close out with this video. Some of you might have heard him. He's pretty well known, a chemist and a nano technologist. His name is James Tour, and it's a really interesting story because he's Jewish by background. And one of the things that he was able to experience was that he stumbled across and the Holy Spirit revealed it to him that he needed Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah. He gives a lot of lectures, gives a lot of talk. He's such a brilliant man, incredible, incredible intellect that now he's arguing against other atheists and other people to say that it just makes no sense if you argue that things did not develop over a period of time and there's some kind of creator. Anyway, I'll let him tell you the story of what happened growing up as a Jewish person in New York, out of all places, right? That's as Jewish you can get in the States. Growing up in New York as a, as a strong Jewish person encountered the power of the Holy Spirit as God worked in his life and he began to treasure Christ and through that other people came to know him. Let's watch this and then we'll close out. 
We're going to close out here and I'm just going to encourage us as you heard that testimony. There was nothing that he did. It was God who reached out to him. But you could tell in his voice that he treasures Christ because he comes from a background that's against Christianity in some ways. They were taught that, that Jesus was did not die and resurrect or he didn't resurrect from the dead. And so he had to be confronted and by the grace of God, he gave his life to Christ and then his mom came to know Jesus. You want to live your life in, 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 in power and as a witness and a testimony that you have to treasure him. Let him satisfy you. Get to know Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.